Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pixels for Breakfast Pod. I'm your host Steve, joined by my developer co-host, as always, Blue. How's it going, buddy? I might sound different to you. Yes, we got a new mic for Blue. We'll see. If, if anything sounds bad this week, that's just going to have to be a learning experience. Um, new mics mean new setups, so please bear with us. But I'm sure it's going to be fine. And speaking of fine, what a fine week of news it has been this week. There's so much going on. So we're going to skip the small talk and jump straight in with our first story. The developer of Terraria has basically said up yours to Google, <laughs> uh, saying that they are going to cancel the Stadia port. Saying that doing business with you is a liability. Uh, so the long and short of this is not long after the Stadia announcement uh, where they cut loose their internal studios, over 150 people. We talked about that last mm-hmm. week. Uh, Spinks, who is the creator of Terraria, his studio name is Relogic. He's gone on Twitter uh, several times trying to engage YouTube's support team after he was locked out of all of his accounts. Uh, basically, he was locked out yep. of his YouTube account, locked out of his Gmail account, locked out of his Google Play account, and uh, has been trying to get some help. Uh, this all stemmed from a term of service uh, hit on one of his videos that was, you know, there was no actual copyright strike because it was most likely a mistake that, I mean, yeah. that's even happened to my videos from time to time. Yeah. And uh, he's tweeted out, I have absolutely done nothing to violate your terms of service, so I can take this no other way than you deciding to burn this bridge. Consider it burned. Terraria for Google Stadia is cancelled. My company will no longer support any of your platforms moving forward. I will not be involved with a corporation that values their customers and partners so little. Doing business with you is a liability. Pretty big words. I don't know yeah. how you feel about this, Blue. <laughs> I, this is probably just a mistake internally on Google, and it's very unfortunate because this is not uncommon. Mm-hmm. You hear stories about this happening all the time. Google is notoriously hard to reach if you're not of a certain size and weight and clout. And I, I do think this is just one of the things that happens when you have such a rigorous automated like strike system that does so much behind the scenes. But it's insane that if this is actually from because because the strike was never confirmed, right? And it shouldn't be. Um, it's hard to say that this is from that. It could be any multitude of factors because. I've not heard of people being locked out of Gmail for their YouTube getting struck. Yeah, this is the thing, right? Like, yeah, this is definitely going by his tweets. We don't know if anything else happened behind the scenes. This is all taking his stuff at face value. And, you know, I'm going to side with him more likely than not. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be honest. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't know that for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. And it does seem a little bit like, well, okay, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna burn this bridge down and make a big stink about it on on Twitter. Yeah. Um, because he walked this back immediately. Actually, uh, he then came out and said, "Oh no, the Android version's still happening," because a lot of fans were <laughs> super mad. So he's yeah. still working with Google. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, but it, yeah, it definitely, I, I feel the frustration here. It is the risk that I guess we run with everything being tied into a Google service. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's. The, the water is a little muddy on this, but it definitely is a big hit for Stadia going forward, even though I'm very dubious about what Google's plans are for the future and whether this thing's going to stick around. Terraria is a big game. Like, like it or not, Terraria is a really big game and that's a big deal for Stadia. So to have it off the table is a bit uh, a bit of a red flag for sure. Absolutely. I So in terms of what we should um, take at face value and not all of the claims of what actually happened with the YouTube channel, all of what might have gone wrong with the account. Yeah, definitely 
you know, take that with a grain of salt. What I would believe, though, is that he has tried to contact Google for weeks and not gotten anything back. Absolutely. That that, that part I 100% believe. And that part is the part that really gets annoying for a lot of people because when you're talking about people's livelihoods or at the very least dollars, right? If not the entire livelihood, lots of money, um, you can't... It's very difficult to say to someone's face, I'm sorry we didn't get back to your request that deals with whether or not you put food on the table. We, the email got lost under a mountain of other work. That's not acceptable, you know? Like, it's it's really hard to continue doing work with someone like that. Yeah, and as we said, like, it is, even just from a consumer level, Google support is is terrible. Like, yeah. I had issues with a Pixel 2 phone back in the day, mm-hmm. and that took at least nine months to get resolved. Um, you jump on the Reddit, and, like, obviously Reddit is definitely, you know, more on the exaggerated side, but there are countless stories of people having issues with the newest Pixel phone and nothing being done about it. And even mm-hmm. when I moved to Japan, when I tried to change regions, there was an issue with a credit card, and that took me about eight weeks to get sorted, which means I couldn't buy anything from the App Store. I couldn't access some of my old purchases either. It was, yeah, they're definitely not great to deal with on that mm. front. Google's great when it works, but I don't know. There's a price to pay with how good some of their products are. It's just when it doesn't work, you just can't get a solution sometimes. Exactly. And I know that they're listening to me now because I'm starting to get Pixel 5 ads on my uh, my, my webpage here <laughs> as I look at the next news story, which is that Kingdom Hearts is coming to PC in March as an Epic Games Store exclusive. Oh, my God. What? This, this yeah, is this insane. This is wild, right? This like is now, insane. At the top here, I don't care about Kingdom Hearts at all. But I understand how like big and weirdly cult fanatical this game is. This series is, rather. And it was such a big deal. Remember when Microsoft were like, yo, we got all the Kingdom Hearts games now on Xbox. Like, that was a big deal. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. to have them come to PC and Epic be like, yo, we got these, that's huge. Mm. Uh, so I'm just going to, there are going to be 11 Kingdom Hearts okay. games and they're going to be split across four bundles. Ah, now this is where the naming and everything just gets me. So the first bundle is Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 plus remix. And uh, that includes Kingdom Hearts Final Mix, which is a remaster of the first game with HD visuals, improved controls, and more. Kingdom Hearts Re Chain of Memories, uh, Kingdom Hearts 358 slash Two Days, and which is technically the fifth game in the series. <laughs> yeah, this is wild. Yeah. Uh, and then you'll also get Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix. And then the second bundle is going to be Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue, which anyway, that doesn't make sense. That includes uh, Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance HD, which was the only Kingdom Hearts game I've played. It was a 3DS game. Mm-hmm. Kingdom Hearts 0.2 Birth by Sleep, a fragmentary passage. Uh, it's a short adventure that leads up to Kingdom Hearts 3, apparently. Mm-hmm. And then it'll also include Kingdom Hearts X Black Cover, which is a HD movie. So it's not really a game. And then um. there'll be two more, which is uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 plus Remind, and then Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory, which is a rhythm action game. Uh, so... That's like, I, mm, yeah, those names are definitely the worst, the worst names <laughs> it, in it, gaming. It's like you're in English class and the teacher's like, this, these set of words together technically make a sentence, but that's not how you'd ever write it. <laughs> you know? Here is the final chapter prologue. Yeah. Like, what? Which, which what? Technically, it <laughs> yeah. makes sense as words strung together, but no one would say it that way, right? So I love. Japanese English, where yeah. it's just we're just borrowing foreign words to sound cool because I think that's brilliant. I love doing that. We do that in English all the time. 
all the time. So, like, don't frown too heavily on this uh, just because it's marketing. I think it's part of the charm. I love it. It's horrible. Don't get me wrong. It's horrible, but I love it. I want to just... Kingdom Hearts? Is oh, it a series? I, I, I tried to get into it, but it's a hard series to get into. Um, mm-hmm. I was much more interested in it when it was Disney meets Final Fantasy. Yep. And, you know, one of the original concepts for Kingdom Hearts was that they would cycle its partners around so that it was Final Fantasy meets Disney, and then Final Fantasy meets something else, then something else. But eventually it became the Disney, cinema, uh, not cinematic, game universe thing, mm-hmm. right? And then I lost a lot more interest. Like, it became a lot less interesting at that point because I've heard the gameplay, um, depending on your style of uh, play, is not the most exciting. If you're looking for Final Fantasy, for example, it ain't Final Fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. So when when it, when they dialed it back on the Final Fantasy stuff, I got a bit less interested. Um, but I did try to get into it at some point, and I just kind of did. Mm-hmm. I've seen some stuff on the lore and stuff, which is kind of interesting. I just kind of want to point out here with eleven games, right? With eleven games in this set of bundles, that's a good like close to a thousand hours of uh, of content. It's just, almost the equivalent of me buying all of those Yakuza HDs, and that's like the next three years of my gaming. Yeah. Right? Like, this yeah. is five years of gaming right here. This is a lot for anyone who just wants to jump in. And not all of it's going to hold up. Um, I think all of these games are notorious for having certain sections which are just like, eh, you know? But they're really fun. I think they're really, really fun experiences, especially if you like Disney and ever, if you ever wanted to see Mickey shirtless, this is the game for you. Oh, boy. Mm. Anyway, I moving on from that. Don't moment. have context. Yeah, I don't have context for that. It's just yeah, you can see Mickey shirtless in this game. Wait, isn't Mickey shirtless in like Steamboat Willie? Pretty sure. Possibly. Right? Yeah. He's been shirtless before. He's been know. shirtless before. Really... This isn't like Mario nipple, but it, yeah, it's yeah, definitely yeah. one of those. I think the context of it is that there's a cutscene that happens and you just go, King Mickey, why are you shirtless? <laughs> <laughs> and then they had to like try to write that into the subsequent games because they never explain it in the first game. It just happens. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, moving on to uh, another piece of news here that E3 is happening, uh, apparently. So Yay. E3 is going to be a all-digital three-day event mm-hmm. in 2021. The ESA uh, has been planning this and has had a document leak, basically, that's kind of showcasing their ideas. They're proposing that it'll be taking place on the 15th to 17th of June, which is kind of the window that E3 normally happens. Yep. Uh, and they're... They're suggesting that there's a preview night on the 14th of June, an award show, a two-hour keynote sessions from game partners, and smaller streams from publishers, influencers, and media partners. And then this would be supplemented by media previews for key titles one week early using systems like Parsec so the developers could be on the call with you trying to emulate the experience of going to an E3 booth and having those meetings and being able to ask those questions. And in uh, a statement provided to VGC, the ESA has insisted that it's having great conversations with publishers, developers, and companies about transforming the E3 experience for 2021 Mm -hmm. with exact details promised soon. However, there have been so many reports of no one really signing up for this, especially the bigger publishers at the end of the day. Yeah. And while they haven't been named, there's been one key partner that has specifically come out and said, we will not do this. We will continue to showcase on our own. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the... The rumor around that is that they would rather showcase on their own than pay the six-figure cost to be part of this digital showcase, uh, which is just absolutely nuts. For anyone not in the industry, the ESA has been this kind of weird black mark on the calendar for the last, like, 
five years at least. E3 has all, as of like what, 15 years ago, E3 came under a lot of fire for a lot of various reasons. And then there was a rebranding at some point. And then business continued as normal, right? But I think the real first time people really kind of looked at it sideways was with Devolver. When Devolver yeah. held their own side showcase, which looked like part of E3, right? Like when you, if you didn't look at the calendar and official E3 stuff, and you just kind of looked at all of the showcases back to back, Devolver's showcase was so professional. Well, the the other thing too is that Devolver disrupted that by placing their caravan in the car park of E3 and <laughs> yeah. having like, that's what it was. And it felt like it was part of E3, even though it technically yeah. was not. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it just really got people kind of looking at E3 going, how long is this trade show going to function this way? Because consumers are getting better and better ways of receiving news from big publishers and thinking about this kind of logically and step by step all esa is here is a glorified um scheduling app right that's yeah that's, it's a scheduling app slash lobbyist group essentially yeah that's all it is right now um and when you look at it from that perspective why should sony nintendo microsoft square ubisoft pay money to get into it nintendo basically hasn't already like even yeah. before last year yeah they, they like didn't have a conference they just had directs which made more sense for nintendo yeah, I think it is so strange that Nintendo sort of paved the way for a company yeah. being confident enough to do this because it's not what Nintendo does. No. But I also think it's very easy to just forget how bad E3 was, you know, mm-hmm. up shit creek essentially last year. Yeah. Uh, before the pandemic even happened, Sony pulled out of E3. We're not going to be there. That's like number one biggest partner of mm-hmm. the E3 situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also had... Uh, all these rumors of what was actually going on, like the once again, there were leaked documents of their plans around E3. They'd yeah. already shifted to inviting consumers into the show, mm-hmm. which was like a lifeline to keep it afloat. It was yeah. not, they didn't need, they didn't want to do that. They needed to do that, like mm-hmm. completely change the vibe of E3. And it wasn't a good experience for consumers because E3 is a trade show. It's for press, yep. it's for buyers, it's for businesses. And uh, if you're at E3 as press, you get these special press badges and you can basically cut the line. Like, you get thrown in front. And as someone from press, that doesn't feel good. That Mm. never feels good because, like, people will spend six hours in a line to play, like, the new Battlefront game, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not a short line. You're in the line for most of the day. So, if you're there as a consumer, you're maybe going to see three games that you really want to play. And then you just have people cutting in front of you the whole time. And then, so then consumers don't feel good because they're not getting priority. They're paid to get in there and they're not seeing anything because all of these press and businesses are getting shuttled in front. And then, you know, they had these issues with, Jeff Keighley pulling out. He's like, I do not want to be involved with what's going on here. I am 8-Bit who are helping them set up the show being like, yes, we are also pulling out. We don't want to be involved here. Yeah. And it actually, the pandemic was a saving grace because it gave them a convenient excuse yeah. to, it was a, well, we're out. Yeah. yeah it's because, of, it's because of COVID. Yeah. But no, it was not because of COVID. E3 is struggling. Yeah. And having this situation here where all of the publishers banded together last year right like they had the pc showcase they had the the -hmm. japanese arm that did the whole thing with a bunch of japanese publishers like Mm -hmm. people found a way to make it work Mm. they don't need the esa and then the esa are like oh we're gonna do a digital show and we're not gonna actually plan anything you guys are gonna have to fill a three-day content schedule for us and we're gonna charge you six figures to be involved like who is going to say yes to that no one is going to say yes to that the only downside of E3 not existing anymore, honestly, is for the smaller, you know, double A indie yep. thing. Because yep. 
a lot of what happens at E3 are those backroom meetings. Mm-hmm. The chance, oh, I ran into such and such person who works as XYZ publisher at the bar last night. We had a good chat and they're coming to see the game. Yeah. That's the stuff that people are going to miss out on. But it's all not physical. The, yeah. Not the whole, hey, uh, Sony Sony is going to show this game. Yeah. I'm not going to get to see it because E3 doesn't happen. Like, no, Sony are just going to do yep. their thing. Yep. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy to me that it's happening. And then even crazier that they're coming out saying that. And by the sounds of it, no one is signing up for it. The ESA has felt slow on the uptake for a decade. Mm-hmm. And and so many people have voiced major concerns with E3. E3 has always... Let's, let's even talk about the physicality of it. People have not felt safe attending E3 physically. That's yeah. another thing. That's another thing to keep in mind. So people have... E3's been on the way out for years and years and years. It's just that it's it's such a mainstay that it's managed to keep going. This is, I don't know, this feels like they're grasping at something to happen and they're charging partners so much to sign up. It feels like they don't understand what they're doing either, about what kind of value they're bringing to the table here because by losing the, the physicality of it, that actually damages the value proposition quite a bit. It's not the- as in, in, interesting anymore. Yeah, the argument they're making is, well, if we all band together, it's going to make more sense on a worldwide scale. But that's exactly what developers did without them last year. They all yeah, basically so were like, June, July is game season. Let's all plan our stuff. That's the legacy of E3, is that yeah. people expect news out of this period anyway. That's going to happen with or without ESA and E3. Like, do I think that Xbox and, and Sony are like, consp- like working with each other? Okay, well, we're going to go on Tuesday the 16th. You're going to mm. go on... When's like no, I don't think that's happening. But I also do think that there is a bit of camaraderie amongst everyone else in that space. Like the yep. big guns are like doing their thing because they're mm-hmm. the most competitive. But yep. like we saw, you know, Sega had people that weren't part of Sega as part of their showcase, right? Like yep. I think people really stepped up last year, and it was really awesome to see. And I think we will see that yep. again. And here's the other thing. So we talked about the big stuff, Sony, Microsoft level. And we talked about, unfortunately, the people going to lose out are the indies to double A studio size, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's a kind of, there, there is still granularity in the middle where you have niche markets. They can now make announcements to just their communities and not take up, you know, stage presence and have all of the, you know, COD heads and FIFA heads going, why am I looking at this? So the thing I'm thinking about yeah. is last year, uh, a bit later in the year, not in this period, but there was something called the uh, Fighting Game Developers Roundtable out of Japan. So a Japanese-centric, and I think only Japanese, um, collection of developers, publishers, and like directors of various fighting games in various fighting game companies in Japan. Just having a specific stream to only fighting game fans that didn't have to disrupt, like, didn't take up, you know, time from... Why, why am I looking at this instead of God of War? Because, yeah, they, they need their own platform. And... Um, we're in a place where digital makes sense now and you don't need this middleman anymore. With the caveat, if you know what you're doing. There, there's still a lot that goes into planning a digital expo. Yeah, absolutely. And then we're starting to see things pop up and like full disclosure, I was working at Fellow Traveler when this uh, concept started, but they started Ludo Narracon, which is yeah. a small digital festival via Steam that's just for narrative-based games. And like, uh, yeah. as you said, I think we're going to see more of that stuff. And Steam has been getting into that space more itself. Like, they had the tabletop thing. They just had the big demo festival. Last like, week, I think absolutely. that's definitely the way we're going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. This E3. super big umbrella thing. 
it's it's sad to see an institution like E3 go go away, but it's been on the way out for a long time. I think we all just need to remember that. And it's yeah. very different. Like, this is not to say that game events can't happen, but E3 is very different to a PAX. And they were trying to make it more like a PAX to just keep it relevant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they didn't have the expertise to make that work. Because yeah. PAX and is then, a specific thing. It's so engineered. If you've yeah. ever spoken to the people who run it, there's so much love and care that goes into that. Absolutely. And, like, E3 is even less... Like I'm sh- we're going to move yeah. on in a second, but E3 yeah. is even less important now because, let's be honest, games media is not important anymore. That's like, there's a reason true. why I yeah. don't have a full-time job in games media anymore yep. because those jobs are few and far between. Yeah. And the people who are still in those, you know, existing bigger institutions, they're going to get early access. Like, GameSpot's getting early access to stuff all the time. So yep. is IGN. Like, they don't need these events anymore to function. Yep. Like, uh, you know, back in the day when we were working at, like, B-tier you know, media outlets and magazines and stuff like that. Like, we needed to go to these events to to get those scoops, to get those things, to get those connections. And, like, a lot of those BT, like, it's all just hobbyist blogs, like pixelsbreakfast.net. Make sure you go visit. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a lot more like that stuff now. So it's even less relevant. Like, I don't think we need this yeah, huge At some point in the past decade, show. the power dynamic changed. Um, it stopped being, It's all influences. Yeah, now. it stopped being that media and influencers chase the big companies. Now, sorry, it stopped being companies who were chasing... Yeah, it, it just flipped yeah. on its head, basically. Yeah, exactly. Demand goes the other way. All right. Speaking of flipping, I bet that the heads of CD Projekt Red are flipping out right now because this week, oh boy, these guys just can't catch a break. Uh, I've made my my thoughts on the Cyberpunk debacle pretty well known, but it doesn't mean I don't have a heart and I never want to see a studio fail. The CD Projekt Red- a stressful situation. Yeah. CD Projekt Red have become a victim of a cyber attack, a ransomware attack in which a whole bunch of stuff has been stolen, including the source code to Gwent, The Witcher 3, an unreleased version of The Witcher 3, and Cyberpunk 2077, plus a whole bunch of legal documents, including uh, emails, including like contracts, including business setup, all that sort of stuff. Basically, everything that's important to the company has been stolen, and uh, money has been demanded by them. They had 48 hours to comply. CD Projekt Red then released a statement, which I'm going to read here. Yesterday, we discovered that we have become a victim of a targeted cyber attack due to which some of our internal systems have been compromised. An unidentified actor gained unauthorized access to our internal network, collected certain data, certain data belonging to CD Projekt Capital Group, and left a ransom note, the content of which we released to the public. Although some devices in our network have been encrypted, our backups remain intact. We have also secured our IT infrastructure and begin restoring the data. We will not give in to the demands nor negotiate with the actor, being aware that this may eventually lead to the release of the compromised data. We are taking necessary steps to mitigate the consequences of such a release, in particular by approaching any parties that may be affected due to the breach. We are still investigating the incident, however at this time we can confirm that best to our knowledge, the compromised systems did not contain any personal data of our players or users of our services. We have already approached the relevant authorities, including law enforcement and the president of personal data protection office, as well as IT forensic specialists, and we will closely cooperate with them in order to fully investigate this incident. This is really not good. I'm also going to read the note that was left behind by the hacker, because this is like some just hackers, the movie mm-hmm. yeah. type shit. It's like a bunch of exclamation marks, a bit of ASCII stuff. Hello, CD Projekt. You have been epically pwned. We have dumped full copies of the source code from your 
Perforce server for Cyberpunk 2077, Witcher 3, Gwent, and the unreleased version of The Witcher 3, three exclamation marks. We've also dumped all of your documents relating to accounting, administration, legal, HR, investor relations, and more. Also, we've encrypted all your servers, but we understand you can most likely recover from backups. If we will not come to an agreement, then your source codes will be sold or leaked online, and the documents will be sent to our contacts in gaming journalism. Your public image will go down the shitter even more than people will see how your shitty, how you shitty your company functions. Yep. Investors will lose trust in your company and all the stocks will dive even lower. You have 48 hours to contact us. They, they're wow. conscientious, at least. They try to tell you how it's going to ruin your lives. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, after releasing that statement, the data went to auction on the dark web. The auction of the stolen city project source code has been closed. Uh, a Darknet Intel service, KELA, has claimed as a satisfying officer, offer was accepted. It's not entirely clear how much the code was sold for, though the purchaser is said to have paid enough that they could stipulate that the data would not be distributed or sold further. So someone has all of this data. Now, the, the real question is, is that someone, someone at CD Projekt Red, who's epically owning the person back? But probably not. Probably this is not. just... This is just shit. <laughs> this is not like, as I said, you know, whether you are sympathetic to their woes on cyberpunk or not, this is just not what you wish for a company that until recently, everyone kind of really loved and supported and, you know, has done right by the community more times than it hasn't. Mm. So I definitely don't want to dogpile on there like, haha, they deserved it because they absolutely did. No one deserved it. The amount of stress everyone in the company is undergoing at the moment is hard to describe. Like, it's, it's not fun. This isn't a fun thing <laughs> at all. Yeah. It's um like, can yeah. The, the amount of tension that must be happening within those walls, like trying to fix the game, rolling out these updates, the you know legal proceedings that are happening from people who pre-ordered a game and then complained when it didn't meet their expectations. Like, I'm also on that side. Yes, they shouldn't have released the game in the state mm -hmm. that they did, but mm -hmm. you also shouldn't have pre-ordered it. Uh, <laughs> yep. It's just, yeah, it's a complicated issue, but I don't wish this upon any company. Moving on to some good news, though. We've mm -hmm. got a couple of uh, interesting sales uh, figures here. So... Uh, Valheim, which we talked about last week and I am absolutely in love with and Blue is in like with, mm -hmm. uh, it is sold over a million copies in just one week, which is awesome news considering that the game is made by a team of five people from Germany. So that's just fantastic. Uh, for those who don't know, it is a Viking-themed survival and crafting game. It's launched into early access where it's going to be sitting for one year and it hit a peak of 160,000 concurrent players on Steam which is put it at number four on Steam, beating out some of the bigger games there, which is pretty awesome. So that's awesome to see. Couldn't have happened to a, a better situation in terms of being a small team. The other big number here is that Minecraft Dungeons has hit 10 million players since it launched in May 2020. So in less than a year, it's hit 10 million players. Game's pretty good. I actually don't mind it and I wouldn't mind revisiting it because my biggest uh, issue with it is that it was so short. And I know that they've added like a bunch of new biomes and areas and gear and stuff. And, you know, it's it's not amazing, but it was a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, congrats to, to Mojang and Microsoft for that, because that's an amazing feat as well. And a final bit of news this week, I believe, yeah, is uh, Hearthstone is getting the World of Warcraft classic treatment. Mm. It's kind of scary to me to realize that hearthstone came out in 2014 because mm -hmm. it's still in my mind like oh that new card game that Blizzard <laughs> released. yeah yeah it, it's certainly not the card game that is set to shake up the card games anymore yeah but. yeah for sure so uh they're going to be rolling it back to the 2014 version and i'm going to let blue actually talk about it because he plays hearthstone so it makes more sense to come from someone who knows what they're talking about yeah sure 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 
So what is actually happening is that uh, upon the next major patch, which probably will be in sometime in April, uh, Hearthstone is going to have the option to play in what is called classic mode. And what this means is that all updates and changes to cards that have happened since June of 2014 will be rolled back. For anyone who's familiar with the game, the, you know, one of the things to think about is Warsong Commander will now give um, your uh, minions charge uh, if they're under three power, three or uh, less attack. And this just is a sensible kind of step forward for a digital card game to be like, oh, did you want a pre-nerf version of this? Well, here's an environment it could live in. Obviously, you can't just choose to have nerfed and unnerfed cards all in the same environment willy-nilly because why would you ever play the, the less powerful version of something? But it means that if you really wanted to see what Hearthstone was like, in 2014 because let's be honest here it's player base has exploded over the years and most people have not haven't seen what it's like in the quote-unquote good old days you can do it and i think this more importantly sets a precedent for when you have a collectible card game that is digital only you have this kind of leeway to say a card says this in you know standard context and then it says this in the special context and that's really cool to me where you get this kind of modality of play. It feels different depending on what kind of mode you're playing in. More than just what cards you have access to, but like what versions of cards you have access to. Um, that's the classic side of it. Uh, why is this happening? Um, it's actually coming as part of a bigger patch, which uh, is talked about in a blog post that the Hearthstone team put out. And something very important to Hearthstone is happening, which is it is getting a core set rotation. So anyone who doesn't play card games or follow card games, this is something that happens where as time goes on, not only to... So some cynicism here. One of the reasons this happens is to keep people buying new packs, but it also is to keep the metagame fresh. One of the things that happens is after a certain amount of time, the cards that are standard legal, so if you go to tournaments and stuff like that, will shift and rotate. And this just rolls. So set ABC comes out, that's all standard legal. Maybe set D comes out and now set A is no longer legal. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 that cool. makes sense. So Hearthstone has not followed that system. It implemented a rolling set system many years ago now, but it always kept um, an evergreen set. The They were called the classic and basic sets. And their logic for this was, uh, paraphrasing from Blizzard here, they wanted something that players could come back to even after you know, let's say a year of not playing and still go, oh, I recognize these cards. So these cards are new, but I have these classic and basic cards that I can play with, that I'm familiar with, that I won't be, that won't be too much for me to process and digest. Now, the problem, that, that sounds all well and good. The problem is that, you know, you get into a situation where you can't scale a class down past its performance in the classic and basic sets. And those sets were designed from the onset of the game from when it launched. They're, they learned a lot since then. Their philosophies have changed since then. And so the classic and basic sets didn't necessarily reflect that. Uh, noted Hall of Famer, Magic Hall of Famer, Brian Dragonmaster Kibler brought this up many years ago in a very you know public space and said, this is going to be a problem for Hearthstone moving forward. It needs to roll its core sets around. Otherwise, the experiences are going to start to get like stale or problematic, or it's going to become a design challenge. And I guess they eventually agreed. Obviously, philosophies change all the time when it comes to service game development. Uh, and yeah, Hearthstone is finally getting that. So 
in the next set, it's going to phase out all of the classic and basic cards, put it into something called the legacy set, and then bring in pickings of cards from different sets that's going to be called the core set. And that's going to be just given to players when they log in. Uh, it's going to, the core set cards are going to be earned through progression and it's going to be given to players when they log in if they've already met those progression goals. So if you level your heroes up to certain um, points, you'll get all of the cards associated with that hero as you log in free of charge. If you're new to the game, you'll still be drip fed them as you play the game. And it it's going to be a messy transition. It's going to take time for people to get used to, but I think it's a really really exciting thing for a for an established game like Hearthstone to do. That's basically it. Yeah, it definitely sounds like there's change, you know, coming and uh it's kind of interesting to see them do this. I you know, I expected them to, you know, go back to Diablo and do something there before we heard about Hearthstone. I know that they're working on Diablo 2 HD apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is interesting. Expect more details out of Blizzard over the next week because BlizzCon line is, I believe, February 19th. Going to get a yep. lot more out of them. Uh, and keep in mind as well, for if you're not paying close attention to Blizzard, obviously, in years gone, their workhorse franchise was World of Warcraft. It still is-ish. Um, Hearthstone is actually one of their biggest earners. So it, yeah. it's a, it's a, the team has exploded in size and the the responsibility of Hearthstone to perform for the health of the company is a lot higher now this was a throwaway <laughs> this was a throwaway project i'm yeah. relatively certain if we go back in time and said to the to the company and team back then hey this game is going to you know be a staple for uh for the company that they would do a lot of things differently they may even have i don't know how many people remember this hearthstone's made in unity <laughs> that may not be a thing that they cho- choose to do if you could go back and tell them because it is still plagued with certain things that are just finicky with Unity. Timing, animations are very finicky in Unity. And that's a, a weird problem that is currently still ongoing. Yeah, I never knew that. You learn something new every yeah, day. Yeah, there's a, there's a list of games, you know, that are just like, that's a Unity game? Um, yeah, Hearthstone's one of them. You know, Ori in the Blind Forest, that kind of stuff. Fun times. Mm. All right, well, before we uh, go into our next uh, spot, let's just take a quick ad break. In a world without hope, one streamer will rise up. I must rise up. To face the greatest evil the world has ever seen. (laughs) I'm the greatest evil ever! From the creative mind of a friend of the second DP on three episodes of Entourage, this summer, Blasphemous Waffle and Kevin Hart star in The Streamer 2 High Latency. This film will not ever be rated. Visit twitch.tv slash blasphemous waffle for showtimes. So, Blue, what have you been playing this week, buddy? That's a good question. Um, played a bit of Valheim with you. Mm-hmm. Not much. Yeah. Good fun time. Um, Played a bit of... Oh, yeah, actually, no. The bulk of my time this week has definitely been sunk into... Magic the Gathering Arena. Um, Call Time set launched, you know, weeks ago now, and I mentioned it then, and it's still giving. It, I'm still thinking of dumb deck ideas to make. And mind you, I make decks. I don't play them on ladder because that's mm. a horrible spot to, like, play around with deck ideas. It's not fun. But, you know, uh, I like building decks and then just leaving them to gather dust. It's fun. Did you hear about the uh, Magic the Gathering Diablo-style game? That's coming next month. Oh, is that, is, has that gotten a thing? Um, 
Magic? Yeah, literally tried- while we were on this podcast. Um, yeah, Magic the Gathering Legends is going to be going into open beta. Uh, Wizards of the Coast are a company. Um, I hope you can <laughs> hear the inflection when I say that. They've, they're they definitely up there with Games Workshop in trying to make their IPs relevant to the digital space. Um, and for the most part, failing. They have very interesting policies. Uh, interesting there is definitely code word for I think bad. When it comes to uh, managing how they tackle games. Similar to Games Workshop, like Warhammer is an IP and franchise that should make sense and should be relevant in the digital space. And it just kind of isn't. Until Arena, Magic was kind of in the same boat. But with that said, Wizards is very unwilling to commit to like making Arena all that it could be. So am I... Uh, I have actually lost track of how many... Th- things that I've heard wizards are doing and what names everything is. Magic or Legends sounds familiar, mm-hmm. but I couldn't tell you what I thought it was until you said Diablo. <laughs> Clone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. Uh, I look forward to it. I would temper my expectations. The, w- wizards have a very long track record of producing subpar anything. They, they sure <laughs> do. <laughs> anything. There, there have been talks about a Magic the Gathering like Netflix original as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Everything's Which, getting a Netflix show in this space, right? To, to, yeah, to be fair, like, what isn't, right? Like, go out back and speak to your neighbor and somehow he's getting a show where he talks about cows or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Um, but it makes sense with Magic. Magic's lore is insanely rich. It's so good. And it's this kind of weird storytelling system where they juggle, like, 12 different threads and only talk about them selectively as sets go on, sometimes threads are just lost to time and you won't get a resolution to them. You know, it's really cool. Magic has done a lot of really, really interesting storytelling through the medium of just trading cards. And if you're ever interested, point me in a direction, I'll start talking about some of it. at least. Um, But no, that's really cool to hear that there's going to be some potentially more Magic stuff down the line. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it's uh, got any substance to it. If they're just I- like, let's just put some of our characters in here and uh, yeah. go to town. Don't hold your breath for doing anything, like, outstanding, though. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm super down on them as a company, but that's because of what they've done. <laughs> like, yeah. They earned I, that. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like in this case, they've earned skepticism, you know? So I'm not going to be super hyped for it, uh, but I wish them all the best. I hope this, this I hope this is the next, like, big arena thing for them. I hope that they see this as a potential avenue for them to earn money and that they'll sink relevant investment into it not holding my breath fair enough so it's just been a lot of magic and a little bit of valheim a bit of, valheim, a bit of 30xx yeah we can't talk about that one yet oh. next week fair enough uh i definitely feel like i have played other things i just don't remember it's all been like dabbling oh, i played a bit more hearthstone yeah <laughs> a bit more hearthstone battlegrounds it's auto battle nice it's kind of fun yep that's cool that's cool yeah i've actually had a pretty pretty quiet week myself like a Played a lot of Valheim. I'm not going to go into that again. Mm. I really like that game. Mm. I really, really enjoy it. I find it meditative. I can't wait for my lunch break today so I can play some more. Mm. Um, I have been checking out Undermine on uh, the Nintendo Switch. It just launched yesterday on the Switch, but I've had it for about a week. So I've been kind of picking that up and, and playing through. I played a fair bit on Xbox uh, Series X. And I really, really like that game. I feel like it didn't get as much credit as it maybe deserves because, uh, you know, it is just another one of those roguelikes of a thousand roguelikes that came out last mm. year. But I think it has a lot of personality and it has just a really good feel to it. And it, it feels really good and runs really well on the Switch. 
Uh, so I'm excited mm. to sink some more hours into that. I'm probably going to do a written review. I don't really have time to do a video review of that one, but I might yep. write something up because I do think it's a game that people should check out. Uh, I wonder if people are disappointed when they look at that game and they're like, oh, I expected an Incredibles game, you know, as in like the Incredibles <laughs> because of the Underminer. Yeah, I, I also think um, people are expecting, oh, it's a crafting game, like Terraria oh, yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. Like, for those who don't know, you are diving into a mine. There's a bunch of earthquakes happening. So you get mm. sent down there to rescue people who are missing and defeat some bosses. And you're a miner and you've got this big sack and you're collecting gold nuggets and, and taking out all these enemies. And um, yeah, it's kind of like a um, just a really good, like it's top down sort of like Legend of Zelda style old school Zelda um, gameplay, but it's really, really good and really polished and just has some personality that I think is super cool. Yeah. Um, so I do recommend checking it out. And yeah, it is pretty great on Switch. Uh, I've actually gone back to Animal Crossing. Oh, yeah. How did uh, uh, you, you said you mentioned you were going to try and get back to it. Have you been enjoying yourself? Yeah, I've actually haven't had that bad of a time in it. Um, I don't awesome. know. It hasn't clicked for me okay. yet, yep. but I'm feeling better about it than when I first played it. I do wonder if perhaps my feelings around it is... Everyone that we had in our group that was playing Animal Crossing was just obsessing and trying to build everything as quickly as they can. And I've never played Animal Crossing like that. And I do wonder no. if maybe that ruined the enjoyment for me quite a bit because mm. it's like, oh, I've got to keep up. Everyone's so much further ahead than yeah. I am. And now no one's playing it anymore. I don't have that pressure. So maybe it's going to click with me a little bit more, I think. But yeah, I've sort of just been picking that up every few days. It's a good and then uh, just sit down and like just touch up your town for 20 minutes kind of game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, you know, get things done. As you said, we've played a fair bit of 30XX. We'll be able to talk about that next week, mm -hmm. um, but pretty good. Um, yeah, that's kind of been about it. I've got a couple of games I'm starting to dabble with that I can't talk about. Um, one of them being Everhood, mm -hmm. the other being Loop Hero, which still remains to be just fantastic. Mm -hmm. And the last being Blue Flame. Blue Flame? Blue Fire. I don't uh, know. Let me quickly, quickly look. <laughs> it was on my top 10 indie games of, of uh, this month, and I've forgotten the name of it. Um, Blue Fire. It's a 3D platformer oh, right. that Mully and I are going to be covering on the Pixel Bytes podcast next week. So I've started to dabble with that, cool. and I'm planning to get into it next awesome. week. Well, that's another pretty tight show. A lot of news, but we haven't played a lot of games. Basically, like, I just play Valheim now. That's just, you know, that's going to be my next answer for the next six months, I think. Valheim, Valheim, Valheim. Um, that sounds like a fun time, at least. Yeah. No, it's been, been a really good time. Uh, so I think that just about wraps it up. Uh, Blue, do you actually want to plug your podcast? Because it's out next week. So it is. Oh, it's, it's an episode that I recorded so long ago because we were good and productive ahead of time this time. So, um, yeah, possibly the day after this drops. I don't remember when this is going on. But on February 15th, the Platforms and Pitfalls episode on, oh, what did we end up calling it? Uh, outer Loop Progression. That's what we ended up calling it. It's that, that thing went through a number of name changes, but it's Roguelikes Plus Plus, where we talk about, you know, the kind of progression that games have outside of just the core gameplay. Genuinely a very fun time. Very interesting. Do check it out if you have time. We talk through... You know, what? I'm not going to put myself on the spot and name the five games because I never remember the fifth one. So go check <laughs> it out. It's going to be a good time. We really enjoyed recording this one. And it's going to be the first one under the uh, Pixels of Breakfast content network, which means it's going to be on the website. So you'll be able to check it out, pixelsofbreakfast.net or Platforms of Pitfalls on your favorite podcast app. That's sick. Um, moves are happening. Things are, things are cool. Yeah, things are cool. I also do want to do a quick plug for your... Uh, 
Your co-host of the Platforms and Pitfalls podcast, Rowan Carmichael, mm. has done our first column on the uh, website called Ludo Ludo Dissonance, <laughs> Death in Fire Emblem. He talks about the the restart mechanics of, of uh, Fire Emblem and, you know, permadeath and all that sort of stuff. It's a long read, but it's a very, very good read. And I definitely, uh, you know, want people to go check that out, show your support, even leave Rowan a little comment if you could. Uh, that's something we're going to be doing more of. We're going to have guest columns. Uh, I know... Uh, virtual photographer Drew Taylor is working on a couple of pieces right now that I'm very excited uh, to put up on the site and hopefully we get some more contributors along the way. And I have uh, made an announcement and if you've somehow missed it, I am actually going to be stepping away from regular streaming on Twitch. Uh, Right now, just life is a bit too hectic and I need to focus on my Japanese study and I can't do YouTube and podcasts and Twitch and family and study and full-time job. So looking at the things that I enjoy doing the most and what I think adds the most value, I do think these podcasts and the YouTube stuff is more important to me right now. So I'm going to be stepping away from regular stream schedules. That's not to say that I won't ever stream. If I have some spare hours or whatever, I'm going to be jumping on and do some streams here and there. More than likely going to be on YouTube though, just to keep everything central. And then, you know, when life calms down a little bit, I will come back and do some streams. But just letting everyone know that if you do subscribe to me on Twitch, please go ahead and cancel that subscription. I don't want people to be giving Twitch money because I'm not going to get a payout now that I'm not streaming. And if you do want to support this show or anything else that we're doing, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash pixels for breakfast. That money goes to server hosting. It goes to paying Valen for his video editing. It goes to hopefully paying the contributors for some of their stuff as well. Uh, So all of that money, whether it's a dollar or it's 10, it really does help. And uh, yeah, just make sure you go check us out on YouTube, go to the website and uh, check out the Pixel Bytes podcast as well, launching next week. I think that's about everything, Blue. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And as always, don't forget to pixelate your breakfast.